Hello and welcome to the Midtown Fellowship Sermon Podcast. It's great to have you with us. You're joining us in the middle of our Be Curious Sermon Series, where together as a community, we're exploring scripture with a curious heart to learn more about Jesus, to learn more about his word for us, and even to learn more about ourselves. It's a beautiful thing when we come together as a community and realize that our questions don't keep us away from God. It actually draws us closer to him. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can go to our website, midtownfellowship.org. And if you'd like to join us, we'd love to see you on Sunday morning. Hey, would you say good morning to somebody before you take a seat? Just say, hey, welcome. Well, that was pretty short. I love how you guys are kind of self-governing. You don't feel very social today? Haven't had enough coffee? All right, okay. So if you're new here to Midtown, uh, we don't just sing worship to the Lord. We also study his word. And we come to this uh, curious as to what God has for us today because we believe here's something that's kind of crazy. We believe that truth is not something we discover it's something that's revealed and that the Holy Spirit is working here. So uh, as we prepare to come to this table, uh, we're coming curious as to what God has for us. If you've never taken communion here, don't worry, we'll walk you through it. Uh, we don't have any secret handshakes or some code that you need to know. We'll walk you through each step of the way. But today, uh, we're coming to a really crazy passage of Scripture. And it's crazy because we're going to be talking about this guy that's not just possessed by a demon, but he's possessed by thousands of demons. Like, it's crazy. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is how do you deal with darkness? How do you deal with it? If, if you're not a Christ follower, this should be a very interesting story for you to hear. If you're a Christ follower, the real pressing question is how do you deal with darkness in you? Because the way you deal with darkness here is going to impact the way you deal with darkness with each other and the way you're going to deal with darkness with this world. And that really, really matters. So let's dive in. Courtney's going to read for us. We're in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be starting in verse 26. So if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, they're in the window seals. So you seal sitters, seal sitters, hold up a Bible. If you got a, a Bible right behind your head, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and let's see how good of a throw you can make, all right? Here we go. Nobody? Come on. One hand. Oh, I see a hand. I see that hand on the right. There you go. The buses will wait. Just pass it to the left, all right, to your right. Hey, Courtney. There you go. Guys, y'all know Courtney? <laughs> we are fans. Oh, that's so sweet. So thank you for reading that's today. That's sweet. Jesus restores a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across from the Lake of Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he, met, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Okay, stop right there, Courtney, because I don't think you guys heard what just happened. Because it's like, wah, wah, Bible, Bible, wah, wah, 
Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and they come up to shore, and as soon as the boat gets landed in the sand, a naked, he said, what did he say, Courtney? He had not worn clothes for a long time. Correct. He's a naked man, <laughs> screaming, running at them. Now, just a pro tip, if you leave here and you're in public and someone who's naked is running after you, this is not good, <laughs> all right? This is not Nashville's welcoming committee. Public naked, not good. Things are not right. Y'all agree? Okay, all right. If y'all thinking about getting naked right now, stop, all right? That will not be good. Courtney, please continue. When, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. The large, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demon begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, would you now open our eyes and our ears, our heart to your word? Holy Spirit, would you come and teach us? <clears throat> Be kind to us and guide us in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you don't get anything out of this passage, this passage is clearly stating that there is a spiritual war world. And in this spiritual world, there's both good and there's both evil. And there is a war going on. <clears throat> in fact, when the demons give Jesus their name, they, they say we are legion, which is a Roman military term. There is a declaration that there is a war going on between good and evil. And what's amazing about this is that Jesus is the high king of heaven. There is none like him. He is all-powerful in this spiritual world. There is no one that is his equal. There is no one that is his rival. He is the powerful one in this spiritual world. And here's what we get from the text. Jesus is not confused about that. Jesus knows <clears throat> beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is all-powerful in this world. The demons know that Jesus is all-powerful in this world. The ones that don't know that are the humans in this story. 
And here's the challenge we're going to have to you. Do you know that? Do we know that? That Jesus is all-powerful in the world. Because what we believe about this spiritual world, what we believe about this spiritual war, what we believe about who's in power is going to impact the way we deal with evil. So let's look at the story. So Jesus and his disciples, they lay on the shores of Gerasene, and this naked guy comes running at them, screaming. And I can only imagine that the disciples, you know, were looking at each other going, I want to go home. Because if you go back to the story right before this, this is the story of the disciples being on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus at night, and a storm came up. And the storm was so fierce, all the disciples, many of which were trained fishermen, knew we're about to die. <clears throat> and Jesus was asleep in the boat. Do y'all know this story? So they go and wake up Jesus, and they say, don't you care that we're going to die? Like, they are panicking. And Jesus stands up, and he calms the winds and the waves with just a word. And listen to what, what the disciples say. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, the disciples asked one another, who is this guy? Like, who is this guy? They, did, they were like, I'm not sure we know who this guy is. Who does this? And they're confused about who Jesus is. But guess who's not confused about who Jesus is? Verse 27, then Jesus stepped ashore and he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes, naked. Or lived in a house, homeless, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? These demons were not confused at all about who Jesus is and the position that he held. Not confused. They know who he is. They know what power he has. And they know his plan that he has for them. In fact, they say, please, don't throw us into the abyss. They know that's the end of the plan. And they're like, hey, don't do that yet. Please don't do that. Warren Wiersbe, who is a famous theologian who wrote many commentaries, he put it this way. Demons have faith. But it's not saving faith. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with authority to command them. They believe in a future judgment and then the, the existence of a place of torment in which Jesus is going to send them. They also believe in prayer. For the demons begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. They asked to be sent into pigs, and Jesus granted them their prayer request. This is when I was sitting in my office, and I read that, the first thing that popped in my head was, Jesus, take the squeal. <laughs> And I wrote in my notes, that's way too corny to do. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Sorry, I am never doing that. <laughs> See, Jesus knows he has power. The demons know he has power. Do you know? When we don't know that Jesus has power, in fact, when we don't believe that there's a spiritual world, and especially when we don't believe that there's a spiritual war, we are in trouble. We are desperately in trouble because... If we don't understand Jesus has power in this spiritual world, instead of us coming at evil with the power to deal with evil, evil deals with us. And when evil is dealing with us, there are certain fruits that it begins to bear in our lives, and we see it in the story. Like, let's talk about the spirit, uh, this demon-possessed man for a second, and let's, can we just try to humanize him? Because I don't believe that somebody is born 
and the minute they're born, they're filled with demons. Now, some of you new parents may think that that's really what's going on, <laughs> middle of the night, rescue them, you know. That doesn't happen. In fact, what really begins to happen is that, that this kind of demon possession is something that mutates over time. It's something that snowballs in a person's life. And so we don't know the details of this guy's life, but we can begin to think because we've got the story of Cain and we see how Cain began to change over time in King Saul. We saw how he changed over time and how they were manipulated by the spiritual world. So how did he get this way? I mean, maybe this guy had kids that lived in the town and his kids were embarrassed by him. Maybe he had an ex-wife who cheated on him and left him and now is with some other guy. And the trauma of that moment threw him in such deep despair that the only way he knew how to deal with that is to crawl inside of a bottle. And addiction began to take root, and the addiction and the toxicity of addiction, along with the, the, just the toxicity of shame, and then you put on top of that the toxicity of resentment, Maybe that began to grow and began to snowball to where he was saying, I'm open to anything that's going to give me relief. And maybe at that point he began to dabble into paganism. And maybe he started dabbling into praying to dark spirits. And maybe it led him to a place of isolation and loneliness. And eventually evil took ground. And when it took ground, it began to consume him. When evil comes and takes ground in our lives, what does it look like? Well, the first thing it looks like when he looked at Jesus, he said, please, don't torture me. The first thing evil looks like in our life is when we think the pathway of healing is actually torture. See, the enemy wants me to be isolated. The enemy wants me to be alone. The enemy wants me to be hiding. The enemy wants me to have secrets. He wants me to have those things. Because in those places, darkness grows. And when we get trapped in things like addictions, or we get trapped in things like broken relationships, or we get trapped in like dark discouragement to where we can't even get out of bed, or we get trapped in workaholism to where all we do is work, 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 work. Our lives, our mind are distracted by this job that we have committed our whole lives to. And we're, we're making everything else pay for my addiction to my job. Or I've got this love of money and I secretly foster this deep greed that I just love things, or I've got these hidden sins that nobody knows about, nobody's ever going to know about, I'm never going to tell anybody the pathway to healing seems like hell. Seems like torture. In fact, we'll do things like, there ain't no way, no way I'm dealing with that. Like, if you're in a hard marriage right now, which is every marriage in this room. Can I get an amen? Thank you. All right. <clears throat> if you're in a hard marriage right now, I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about, you know, hey, we just can't determine who's going to take out the trash on Tuesdays. No, no, no. I'm talking about that you're looking at each other and going, I'm not sure I love you anymore. I don't feel love for you anymore. The idea of getting help when you're in that place feels like torture. Like we got to tell somebody else what's going on. It's why some of you have been to AA meetings. They're so powerful because in an AA meeting, they believe a couple things. One is when someone stands up and they actually pull open the veil and go, this is me, uh, that heals them. That kind of vulnerability of coming out of the shadows of shame 
and coming into a community of acceptance, it heals them. But it also heals everybody who's listening. I remember, um, you know, I've been an ACA guy for years, adult children of alcoholics. And I remember in one of our meetings, this guy got up and he was visibly like shaking. He hadn't said anything yet and the lip is quivering, you know, and you realize you're really uncomfortable and he's sweating, like he's pitting out big time. He hadn't said a word yet. And we're all kind of waiting, you know, you can do it, buddy, you can do it. And he goes, I suffer from intense social anxiety. He says, in fact, me standing in front of you right now terrifies me. And he said, that social anxiety for years created shame in my life because everybody else in my life, it seemed so easy. And I kept asking, what's wrong with me? What is so broken in me that I'm so different from everybody else? And that shame created such a toxicity of my own self-acceptance that I began to drink and try to numb the pain. But I'm standing before you today and confessing, here's me. And one of the guys in the group stood up and goes, me too. And they both started crying and they hugged, like they just hugged. And you're looking at that, nobody's eyes were dry because you're like, yes, I just want somebody to look at me and go, me too, buddy. Me too. You're not alone in this. As I heard this week, Kirk Thomas says that the pursuit of every person is I'm just looking for somebody who's looking for me. But it feels like torture when I'm stuck in the grips of evil. Another thing that we see here is evil gives us a new name. Legions was the name of this group of demons. I got names, though. One of my mentors always used to tell me, uh, nobody's more influential in your life than you are because nobody talks to you as much as you do. Think about it. It'll hit you later. All right? And it's true. Do you know what you're saying to yourself? And when shame comes in and begins to change my name and starts to tell me things like, you're not enough, you're not lovable, you're not liked by others, you're lacking, you're a failure, then shame does this and evil does this subtle little thing that it messes with the word but. And what I mean by that is we all live after the but. Like, we are sinners, right? Seasoned churchgoers, this is where we say amen. All right, thank you. Me too. Get it? Me too. Where I'm a sinner, but I am saved by grace. I am the son of the high king. I have been made holy, yes? Here's what, here's what evil does. You are saved by grace, but you're a sinner. It subtly moves things. It's when I say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm loved. You're loved, but we're a mess. That's what evil does, because that sounds good. But what goodness does is, says, no, 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 you're a mess, but you are loved. We always live after the but. Evil loves to give me a new name. It's not just what evil does with us. It's also what we do with evil. And let's go to the town people. They're really an interesting crowd because they knew this guy. He'd been a problem to their community for a long time. Um, 
And, you know, these weren't people that really acknowledged that there was a spiritual world. They don't acknowledge that there's a spiritual war. And they certainly don't acknowledge that Jesus is the power force in that spiritual world. And when you don't acknowledge that Jesus has power in that spiritual world, and you come against that spiritual world, which we do every day, but I'm doing it in my own power, it has a couple of characteristics to it. The first thing they did is, what did they do? They chained this guy. That was their big solution. <clears throat> we got crazy man. They're sitting around town hall meeting. What are we going to do? And one of them says, does anybody here have chains? Let's just wrap him up in chains. But then he kept breaking the chains. And so their next idea was, can we guard him? Let's put guards on him. In other words, if we don't have any power to change it, let's certainly try to control it. We don't have time this morning to talk about how we try to control evil in our own lives, how we try to quiet it, how we chain up our addictions, how we chain up our brokenness, how we chain up other people through manipulation. But just to say that when I have no power to deal with the evil, I try to control it and manage it. But the other thing they did, and if we go to the story in Mark, story, Mark gives a little better description of this guy and it said he lived in the tombs, but he screamed out day and night. He screamed out day and night. Can you imagine living near that, uh, that graveyard? The town that's near the graveyard? And every night as you're putting your kids to bed, here's the guy up there howling at the moon. What do you tell your kids? Like, that's crazy. Like, is he the boogeyman? Like, is, you know, is you're going to tell him that if you don't obey, he's going to come into the house and gobble up your toes or something? Like, what, like crazy guys on the hill. This was a town that just began used to the crazy that they're hearing day and night. Like, my wife, she grew up in a paper mill town. And I remember the first time that I visited you, Connie, and we're driving into town, and I'm like, good Lord, what is that smell? And Renee was like, what smell? <laughs> you get used to it. In fact, one of the characteristics of not acknowledging that Jesus is ahead of the spiritual world is that we start to make brokenness normal. We start to make evil normal. I read an article this week, Gerard Carmichael, you may not know him, he's a comedian, and he's got a new special on HBO. I haven't seen the special, but... The name of the special is Rothanel. Yeah, Rothanel. Because that's Gerard's real name is Rothanel. And the special is about how he spent his whole life hiding his real name. That he was ashamed of his real name. He was embarrassed by his real name. He fought in high school and then afterwards to keep that off all his records, off his driver's license and everything. And actually, Gerard is the name his adolescent brother gave him to substitute the name Rothanel. And so in the special, he goes, let me tell you why. He says, Rothanel is not a real name. It's actually a mashup of my two grandfather's names. That my mom took half of her dad's name and my dad took half of his, name, his dad's name and they brought them together and that's what they named me. And he said, I was ashamed of the name because I was ashamed of my grandfather's. He says, my mom's dad had four kids with his wife and then four kids outside of marriage. 
in the same town. My dad's dad had five kids with his wife and 23 kids with other women in the same town. And he said, and my own father had me and my brother with my mom and three other kids around town, and we all knew who they were. And we never talked about it. The whole special is about secrets. And he says, I'm coming out of the closet, which I think he literally is doing. And he came out and he says, but I'm bringing all the secrets and making them public. See, what evil does is we love secrets. We love to keep secrets as normal. We take crazy and we make it normal. Like, let me tell you what's crazy. If you know Jesus this morning, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That means the Holy Spirit is bringing love, peace, and joy into your life. It's not if you do something special. It's not if you look great. It's not if you go to church. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. When he travels into your life, he comes in with luggage. And that luggage is joy, peace, and love. Here's what's crazy. Do you know how many Christians live with no joy, no peace, no love, and call it normal? Oh, that got personal really fast, didn't it? That somehow or another, my pockets are full of the gifts of God, and I live like I'm impoverished, and I call it normal. I go to church, don't get anything out of it. Yeah, don't like the worship music. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think about God during the week. And we say, that's normal. That's normal. We just learn to live in brokenness. And then we call it normal. But let me tell you something. Nobody can change a life like the living Jesus. There ain't nobody has got power like him. Enormous power. There's nobody that has the capacity to change you from the inside out. But let me tell you, if that is a desire of yours, you better be careful because Jesus is a little dangerous. Listen to verse 33, 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding. There on the hillside, the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. Now, I can speculate why did the demons want to go into pigs? Uh, some think maybe these demons were regional, and that even in Nashville, that there are territorial darkness and princes of cities that are fighting a spiritual war right here. And maybe they wanted, you can go read Daniel and you can learn all about that, uh, the prince of Persia. And, but, you know, some think that they just wanted to stay in their region. Others just think that they just did not want to be cast into the abyss. Either way, they went into these pigs, drove them nuts, and the pigs drowned themselves. Mark tells us there were 2,000 pigs. Now, let me try to give you perspective. Because when those pigs ran into the Sea of Galilee and they all died, Jesus doesn't even mention it. Like there's not even a tip of the hat. There's not even an acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. You guys see that? That's crazy. Like not even that. Jesus just turns his attention back to the demon-possessed guy who's now been set free. That's where his whole focus is. And let me tell you why that matters. At current dollar value, that was like one and a half million dollars worth of pigs that just went into the lake or the sea, to be technical. This could have represented a major part of the economy of this whole region was 2,000 pigs, and they're dead. And when the town people came out, they were afraid. You know why they were afraid? Because Jesus, in Jesus' economy, 2,000 pigs 
do not hold any value compared to the life of this one man that they all hated. That's it. And if you don't think that's dangerous, let me tell you, all the stuff that you value in your life, when you're coming to Jesus, Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't care about that stuff. I care about you. I care about you. And let me tell you how Jesus cares about you. You know how Jesus deals with evil in you? He becomes evil. I know. It's just crazy. In Galatians 1.4, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. That's the work of Jesus. And what does it mean that he gave himself? It says in 1 Corinthians, or first, yeah, 1 Corinthians, that he who knew no sin, the perfect lamb of God, he became what? My sin. He became my evil. He became my evil, and in exchange for that, he gave me his righteousness. In other words, here's the great exchange that Jesus, when he hung on the cross, was the most evil man that ever lived because he bore the sins of the world. He became the evil of humanity so that he could take it away forever and to set us free. And it doesn't stop there. It's not that he just set me free. That's just step one. Step two, Hebrews 10, for by one sacrifice, his work on the cross, he made holy. He made holy forever, forever those who are being made holy. In other words, once and for all, it is finished. When he said on the cross, it is finished, I am forgiven. My sin is gone and I am made holy. Holy in the sight of God. No sin has claim on me ever again. No demon has no right to me ever again. I am his. I am a part of the holy. And why did he do that? And this is a crazy thing. There's a story in the Bible about a farmer in a field. Maybe you've read this. And he's digging around in the dirt and he finds a treasure. And he steps back and he goes, this treasure is of great value. It's more valuable than anything I have. And so he, he covered it up and he went and he sold everything he had to buy the field. Have you heard this story? And when he bought the field, he, he had his treasure. You know what that story is about? Jesus. Because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Trick question. But we get confused. The treasure in the field is not Jesus. The treasure in the field is us. And the farmer was Jesus. And Jesus is the one who valued you more than everything that he had. And he stepped down as high king of heaven and became all of your sin. He gave it all for you because he adores you and loves you and he treasures you. Okay, let me wrap it up with this. So when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. In fact, they, they asked Jesus to leave, and Jesus didn't debate with them. He just got him left. But this guy was sitting at Jesus' feet. And what is he doing there? You know, this, the language is, the Greek language there is talking about like a student and a rabbi. And it's like Jesus, uh, well, put it this way. I used to have a dog. I don't have a dog now. Poor old Buck has gone to doggy heaven. 
That's a whole other sermon, by the way. Uh, and Buck was this 100-pound white fluff of cotton. And whenever we would come out in the front yard and all the neighbors were there, he would go nuts. Like, he just loved people. He saw them as popsicles, you know, just lick, 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 lick. And he had a one-track mind, lick, lick. And, but if he's out there and all the kids in the neighborhood are there and he's going nuts, and if there was traffic cars coming down our street, I knew Buck would not see the cars. And so I'd have to get Buck's attention. And I would whistle. Like, can some of you whistle? Like, like I can't do it. Yeah, do it louder. Oh. That's, come on, somebody's got to be able to do it. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's see. Who did that? You are a man, bro. I just, I will be your disciple. Teach me. But when Buck heard that, because I can do it with my fingers, but I didn't want to do that. It's gross. Um, Buck, freeze. And he's like, okay, master, master, what do you want? What do you want? That's all I needed was his attention. Because once I had his attention, I just come and sit with me so that you don't get run over. This guy, Jesus has his attention, his full attention. And Jesus is asking for your full attention. He's whistling right now. Because that's what we do when we come together as the body of Christ and we open up his word, the Holy Spirit's whistling to us. Hey, 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 hey! And we're about to sit with him. And what I'm going to ask you to do is when you sit with the Lord, will, will you let him? Will you let him speak to you? Will, he let, will you let him show you the ways that evil has gotten a, a, a grip into your life? Will you, will you let him show you the ways that you've tried to deal with evil on your own by either like normalizing it or covering it up? Would you let him speak to you? And then would you ask him, Lord, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you come and rescue me? So we're going to come to this kneeling table. Um, and we're going to partake of this table. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But for right now, can, in the chaos of our lives, could we just slow down and just listen? 